0: Lord of Lords, and we're here to worship you. So God, we pray that you would have your way, and Father, I pray that outwardly, Lord, as the posture of our bodies as one of lifted hands, I pray that in our hearts we would lift up everything to you, that you would help us to surrender this morning, that you would give us strength by your Holy Spirit to surrender all to you, give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, because you are worthy all the time, all the time. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you have your Bibles, grab them and go to Revelation, or Revelations, some people say. It's Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And if I have invited you to come up and help me this morning, to help me read these passages, you guys come on up. Evan and Elena, that's you. I know you're two of them, the rest of you. Come on up. Um, these are some folks from. My small church. This past week, they volunteered. No, come up here. Come up here. Oh no, you're not doing getting out of it that easy. Come up here. Uh, they volunteered, or maybe I volunteered them um, to uh, help me read Revelation this morning. Ashley could not be here today. Do you guys remember what Ashley was supposed to read? Which one was Ashley going to read? She was before you. Okay, stand stand in order. Remember, we're going we're going. Nevin. We'll, we'll work this out, just talk amongst yourselves for a second. We got Nevin, Elena, yeah, you're there, and then I'm going to jump in and I'm going to read Ashway's part. So what are, you, what are you reading? Okay, so Ashway's reading, I'll be Pergamum, okay. You got seven churches, okay, in the book of Revelation. I'm just going to do kind of a survey of them this morning. This is just, oh man, this is one of my favorite portions of scripture. You have a vision of the risen Christ. He came once, 2,000 years ago. Lived, died, lived a life of a humble, marginalized, kind of Galilean peasant until he began his public ministry for about three years. Then he was crucified, died, and rose again on the third day. But he is no longer meek, mild, marginalized, Galilean peasant. No, no. It's not who we were just singing to. He did that, he is the lamb that was slain, like that's true, but he's not just that. We're going to read about him here this morning, so we're just going to read all of chapter two and all of chapter three, and uh, I'll just start with the mic here, and then I'll jump in and I'll read Pergamum, okay?
1: To the church in Ephesus, verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from, from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicol, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God.
2: To the church in Smyrna. And the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of God, first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be fearful unto death, be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death.
0: And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it.
2: And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works." Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold, fast that you, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
3: And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, this thing says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your work perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who has overcome shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from his book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angel. He who has an ear, let him hear hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
4: And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.
5: To the church in Laodicea, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the
0: churches. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Let's give these guys a hand. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let me pray one more time. God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the living word. You are the embodiment in flesh of all that is true. God, I just pray that in the little bit of time that we have together here this morning, that your Holy Spirit would by your grace and by your mercy and because of the shed blood of Christ, give us ears to hear what you say to us. We love you. We need you. And we want to give your lives, Lord, over again and again and again because you are always worthy. Father, I pray that wherever an image of you exists in our heart or in our mind that is not a true image that is an image of you that we have created that we have fashioned into the image of man I pray that you would grant us repentance there this morning I pray that you would help us to see you as you are you are glorious you are absolutely glorious Nothing about you needs to change. There's a lot in us that needs to change, but nothing in you needs to change. Nothing. You're perfect. And so God, please have your way today. And again, just from a few observations that I want to make from these chapters this morning, use it in our hearts and lives, I pray, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. So, man, I love I love this portion of Scripture. Uh, I love this vision, this this portrait that's given to us of the risen Christ. Um, like I said before, he uh, he came once as the Lamb that was slain. His blood uh, is eternal, as we talked about last week out of Hebrews, and it accomplishes forever all that it needs to accomplish on our behalf for our salvation. But he's not just the lamb who was slain. He is also the lion of Judah. Amen. Oh, oh, oh he is the lion of Judah. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's speaking here to his church. And again, I I uh we don't have time to go down into the weeds and all the details of everything that he says to every church. But I just wanted to point out a couple things that are consistent throughout these letters, throughout these letters that he gives to John, who's on the island of Patmos, and he's writing these things down to these churches, real churches, just like our church, back in the day, about 2,000 years ago, in the first century. Um, And they were just like us. Jesus had risen, and they, they were trying to follow him his spirit and uh, and Jesus knows what's going on and he speaks to him and he cares and he cares for him and so I just want to give a couple observations that are of of things because there's kind of a paradigm here through these letters that's that's pretty consistent and then just point out a couple implications about these things that I I think are really applicable uh, still for us for us today um, and I, but I do pray that the Lord would take this and as we just make some general observations that he would use it mightily in our hearts. Number one is this, is just that seeing Jesus as he is, is always, always the most important thing that we must attain in our lives. To, to see Jesus as he is changes Everything. In every one of these letters, if you noticed, it starts out with a specific description of Jesus. And they're different. There's some similarities. Um, but, but here's the thing, is the reason he starts off with this, I believe, before he, and again, he goes through and kind of the paradigm is he gives them kind of some words of commendation and correction, and then he gives them some instruction, then he gives them a promise uh, to cling to, and he kind of walks them through some of these things. But what he starts with is a description of himself. And folks, I'm telling you that there is nothing more important than what you think of when you think about God. That's an A.W. Tozer quote, just to be clear, not mine. But A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what do you think about when you think about God? And we are called as his people to worship him, not as we want him to be or as we think that he should be, but as he is. And if the church, if his people, does not know him as he is, then we will not worship him as he deserves and we will, we will not obey him as he deserves. And each one of these, these things here, or descriptions, that each one of these portraits or profiles um, of the risen Christ ties in directly with the obedience that is to follow uh, later on. And again, all that to say that just very simply, Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer all the time. The most important thing in your life this morning that you need is a right view of who Jesus is. And if you get that, I promise you everything else that there might be some other answers after that. Again, Jesus says more, he he gives more than just the description. But it starts with the description of who he is. It starts with the right picture of his glory and of his presence. And these things were very specific to them. and there, is a, there, again, is a picture of God that he wants to give us, I believe, every week. As we look at his word, week in and week out, that's what this book is all about. It's all about the nature and character of God. And so every week we want to labor to try to show who Jesus is from the scriptures. Because as we see him as he is, then we will worship him as he deserves and we will obey him with the honor and glory that he deserves. Let me just give you one example. In the end of chapter 2, the church of Thyatira, starting in verse 18, Now, there were some things that were specific, and this is just an example, and again, I hope some of these things will, um, man, if you want to study something that is rich and just will greatly benefit you, study these seven churches. Little clue here, all of the imagery, almost everything that's said is a reference to the original context, but also to the Old Testament, okay? There's Old Testament imagery in like every single sentence of the entire book of Revelation, but especially here. But anyway, look at the image or the portrait that's given of Christ to the church at Thyatira. He says, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Okay. Now, one of the things that was going on here was back in the day, Thyatira in that city, it was known for uh, worshiping Apollo. Apollo was Zeus' son, Zeus was kind of the chief of the, Greek, of the Greek gods, if you ever read about any of that stuff in Greek mythology. Apollo was his son, and Apollo was uh, the sun god supposedly okay and so you have this sun god that was obviously a false god a demon god being worshiped by the people of that culture and obviously the church in thyatira would have would have known this and would have been influencing the church and here you have though this picture of jesus with eyes like a flame of fire earlier on in the book of revelation it says like that his face was like the sun shining in all of its strength Jesus shows up and he, he makes war against the god of that culture, the false god of that culture. He says, it's not Apollo who you need to be worshiping. Apollo isn't going to do anything for you. I am the true, the true son of God. Again, Apollo was, was referred to as Zeus' son, the son of God. He says the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, thinking about well, okay, that's relevant for the culture back then, but I, I also wanted to pick out Thyatira here for a second. Because he mentioned something in Thyatira that is also rampant in our day. It's not just in our day, it's been kind of throughout history. Obviously, it was happening, it was happening back then, not just in Thyatira, but in many other cities. And one of the things that was rampant was sexual immorality. Okay. Our day today, our culture is bombarded with it is inundated with on every level sexual immorality of all different types and he goes on here and i just want to use this as one example to show you how who he is impacts the things that we have to face and overcome he says i know your works your love and your faith your servant and your patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first and again this is one of the things like christ he, he's he's got good and bad he he, he divides things rightly he doesn't just throw things into one big lump. There's good and there's bad. And the same is true of us. There's good and there's bad. There's things that he commends us for. There's things that he would correct us for. But anyway, here's the point. He says, verse 20, he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And again, Jezebel was a, um, a, an Old Testament queen married to Ahab. And she did. She brought in all her false gods and she caused the people to worship them and also to commit sexual immorality in Israel and read about her back in first kings who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols i gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality and again there, there's a lot here i'm not going to go on, down into all of it but just take for example this how the picture or the portrait of christ impacts the way that we face the temptations of our culture okay one of the things that I hear all the time, and, and, um, and I, I agree with it to a certain extent, in fact, even back in, it wasn't the only reason, but back in the spring, we did a conference with Dr. Julie Slattery and uh, Authentic Intimacy uh, Ministries and because uh, sex and sexual immorality is something that's you know totally overrun our culture, and we've all been impacted by it. And um, sexual uh, addiction, whether it's pornography or anything else, has had a great impact in our culture. But one of the things that I hear all the time that I think gets a little bit out of hand at times is that, well, sexual immorality is just such a great stronghold. It's just so powerful. The temptation is just so powerful. And you can become chemically addicted to it. And when you, you know, view certain things, it releases chemicals in your brain and it becomes addictive and it's more addictive than drugs. And listen, all those things are true. All those things are true. But I have a question for you. If you were tempted to commit sexual immorality and you had the risen Christ with eyes like fire standing before you, do you think you'd do it? Do you think you'd do it? Do you think you'd click on that thing on the internet if the risen Christ with eyes like fire, face shining like the sun in all of its glory and feet like burnished bronze was standing right before you, if you could see him as he is, do you think you'd click on that next thing on the internet? Yes or no? No. 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 Here's just my real simple point. There's something that's greater than our sin, folks. There's something that's greater than the bondage and the temptation and the strongholds that we face. But it starts with seeing Christ as he is. The sin in your life, you can't conquer it. You can't overcome And And again, again, sexual immorality is just the example right here, and it's one that's very applicable to our culture. But I don't care what the stronghold is. I don't care what the temptation is. I don't care what the difficulty is. Jesus Christ is greater, amen? He is greater. And if we could just see him as he is in his glory, and again, I know someday like this is going to happen, and when we will see him, First John says, when we see him, we will be like him. But it's why now, if day in and day out, we stay in his word and we look at his nature and character, it gives us strength to overcome. It gives us strength to conquer. And we're all constantly looking to these practical little things that we can tweak and different things that we can do and, you know, different ways to kind of self-improve and I'm not, I'm not against those things, but don't do those things at the expense of not seeing Christ for who he is. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Make sense? Man. See him as he is will change absolutely everything. Second observation here is that at the beginning of this letter, you have Christ dealing with his church. And so, the the book of Revelation um, man, the Revelation is fun. It's just fun. Like, a a lot of people stay away from Revelation because, you know, you've got serpents and dragons and beasts. Oh, my. And, uh, you know, and all this different, and all this apocalyptic imagery, different things going on. And,. And and yes, it probably you know it does kind of speak to some things in the end times and how it's gonna it's gonna unravel or whatever. But it's not just that. Um, It's also a picture of the cosmic battle that has been waging throughout all of history, and that Christ is is ultimately lord over. Um, And it's interesting that in all that's going on here, and you know as you read Revelation, there's going to be nations and kings and. Just everything on the highest levels. But this whole book, even though it's going to deal with all that, it starts with the church. It starts with the church. Here's the implication that I want to draw out, is that Christ's first priority in anything that he does, he always begins by working first in his people. Always. And guys, this is really, 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 really important it's really important, even right now, it's very timely for the season in which we find ourselves. It matters. And again, I'm going to talk about this later at the end. It matters what happens in the White House. It matters. It matters. But I want to tell you this, is that the focus of Christ here, in the same way we could say, like, he wasn't writing letters to Nero or to Domitian, who was another emperor, Caesar, back in that day. Who's he writing letters to? The church. And we may think that we have no control and we may think that we have no impact. We may think that we can't, you know, impact or or influence anything that's happening in the world. That would be a lie. Because when Christ goes to work in the world, he does it through his church, he does it through his people. And if we have trusted in him, then we are a part of that group. And I just want to tell you this morning, you have far more, in fact, I would even venture to say infinitely more influence than what you realize. Because if you are Christ, then you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whatever he wants to accomplish on the earth, he first wants to accomplish in and through his church. That's what he wants to to bring about. The church is his bride, The church is the apple of his eye. You know, it's kind of like back in the day uh, when, you know, we're getting ready to come up here in a couple weeks on like the Christmas season, you'll be hearing the Christmas story and all that over and over. Like as you read the Bible though, again, what we have in God's inspired word are these, these things that God was doing. And and we may kind of take it for granted, or think that it was the center of everything, because we're, we're we might be familiar with the Bible and we've heard it a lot. If we've grown up in church, but again, back in the day, it was like it was nothing. So so, for example, back in the day, that the center of the um, kind of the world was the Roman Empire and Caesar Augustus. And you think, man, what what's going on in Rome? What's going on in Caesar's palace? That's not, not the. Place in Las Vegas, but uh, Caesar's palace back in Rome. But like he, he's like, what's going on there? That, if we're going to influence something, <laughs> well, I don't know why I said that, sorry. Um, like that's where influence is going to take place. I says, no, no, no. It's going to take place in a little town called Nazareth. And I'm going to move upon the heart of this king, the most powerful king in all of the world, at this point, and I'm gonna have him issue a decree that he wants to take a census, so that my word can be fulfilled, and so Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth, and they journey to Bethlehem in order to fulfill the prophecies that God had given thousands of years earlier, and it's there, in a little tiny manger, that the king of glory is born. And that's where the shepherds were supposed to go, and that's where the star came over and rested over that manger. That's what God was doing. God didn't have the wise men go to Caesar's palace or have the shepherds go to Caesar's palace. Had them go to a little manger. And the same is true for us today. Yeah, what happens in this election, you know, or anything in the world, it's important. But, folks, I'm telling you, Christ's eye, his gaze, his focus is on his people. And our prayers matter. Our obedience matters. What we seek first matters. And we need to understand that we are his body. <laughs> he has glorious things in store for us. Just this past week as well too, I'll just share this scripture out of Hebrews 12. This past week we finished up Hebrews on Monday, Tuesday, Hebrews, and then we came into Revelation 1, 2, and 3, if you're doing the Bible reading plan that we're doing this year. Hebrews chapter 12, he says this, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Now, what he's describing there is the Old Testament story of Sinai. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they go to Mount Sinai. God comes down in his glory on the mountain. It's shaking and trembling because no mountain can hold God. And, you know, there's all this scary stuff and people are totally freaked out. But he goes on here. The author of Hebrews goes on. And listen what he says. He says, but you have come. So, past tense, and present reality. He says, but you, again, that's God's people, but you have come to Mount Zion. Not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. That's a heavenly mountain. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. In other words, these angels are getting down. They're dancing and they're you know doing, doing their thing. And the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven... And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. In other words, all those who have died and are now there. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, all of this this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better, a better word than the blood of Abel. Here's the point, is that I know we're just seated here at the Amish Country Theater in Berlin, Ohio, and it seems like not much is going on, and maybe we're not really important, and maybe we don't really have much influence But I'm telling you, the Bible would say that that's an absolute lie. Because every time we gather, there are angels that come together. Jesus is there. The Spirit is there. Those who have gone before us um, in death and knew Christ as their Savior are gathered around, seeing the way that we will worship, seeing the way that we will sing, seeing the way that we will seek Christ first, or maybe not. How would it have changed the way that you sang this morning if you would have known that when we gather, this is what you come to? Angels in festal gathering looking over, saying, look at those folks at Mercy Hill. Hear me, and this is why I want you to get this morning. This is not just a metaphor. It is not just an allegory. It is spiritual reality. There's a big difference. The Bible says this is what is true. And that's what you see throughout the whole book of Revelation. The reason I bring that up. Because in chapter 4, the angel's going to say, Come up here, John, let me show you something. And he goes up, and now he's seeing what was happening on earth. He's seeing it from a heavenly perspective. And we see that, it changes everything. And so many of us are just content to just sit in our little earthly perspective, where, well, nothing really exciting ever really happens. I'm just kinda doing life, you know. But man, if you could just get above, understand what the Bible says about what is going on above, it changes everything, and it will change the way that you view what Christ wants to do in and through us as his people. Again, not because we're great, but because he's great, and he's made us his people for his honor and for his glory. <coughs> Third here, one of the things that's consistent in all these uh, letters to the church is that we are called to conquer. We are called to conquer. Let me just see if I can pick it up here and read in each one of them to the church at Ephesus. To, verse seven, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life the church in Smyrna, to the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. To the one who conquers and keeps my word to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. To the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out of his name from the book of life. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Folks, God has called us to conquer do you know that this morning? He's called us. He's called us to be victorious. And here's the thing: this is awesome. We serve a risen Christ, man. he's real. Is that um, he not just? He doesn't just call us to conquer, but he gives us very specific instruction as to how to do so. He, if you notice here, in each one of these churches, again, he has kind of a commendation or maybe a correction after the vision of the portrait of who he is. And then, you know, he, he gives them instruction. Most of the time, it involves repentance, okay? Only two of the churches don't have any correction, um, and so they don't have to, there's nothing specific they have to repent of in this season of their life, but to all the others, he gives very specific instruction as to what to do. So, for example, um, the church uh, in Ephesus, um, you know, he says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love that you have at first. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, and repent, and do the works you did at first. To the church in Pergamum, He says, Man, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you're holding fast my name. You did not deny my faith. Good, good, good job. He says, But I have this against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Then he tells them later on, You need to repent, you need to turn. Don't tolerate this. Every church he goes through, he says, This is good, this is bad. I have, this, I have this against you. He gives them specific instruction. Here's the point, is that you can't really take what he says to uh, Laodicea, for example, about being lukewarm, and you can't take that instruction and apply it to Ephesus, right? It really doesn't make sense. Now, there's things you could learn from it, like Ephesus, if you're reading the letter to Laodicea, you're like, oh, man, let's not, let's not become lukewarm like them. God's about to, he's about to spit them out of his mouth. And You can't take what's given to Ephesus about forsaking the first love and give it to another one. Here's the point is that Jesus Christ knows how to lead us in victory. He knows how to lead us in victorious triumph. He knows how to help us conquer and to overcome. But guys, we have to spend time with him in order to hear his voice, this is why over and over again, the thing that you heard repeated as we read was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's he saying to Mercy Hill Church? What do you think? What's he saying to us? See, that's what really matters. That's what really matters. And we're going to know that as we stay in his word, but also... As we stay in prayer. There's no way to do this without staying in prayer. If you are prayerless, I promise you, you will not have ears to hear. It's just not possible. Okay? Have to stay in his word, and we have to, and we have to stay in prayer. Again, specific instruction for how to overcome. If I was to, uh, if Joe wanted to know how to get to Canton, and I was going to give him instruction on how to get to Canton, Afterwards here, I mean, I'm sure he knows, but, uh, you know, say, go out, leave the parking lot, go out the drive, turn left, follow 39 down to 77, then, you know, head north and that'll run you up into Canton, okay? That instruction works for here, for where he's at, but does that instruction work if Joe is starting in Columbus? No, it doesn't work. The starting point makes all the difference. And the point is, guys, is that so many times I think we, we treat God's word and we treat Jesus kind of like he's not really alive. Kind of like he's not really real. We treat his word like just kind of I just need some kind of general principles and then I'm just going to kind of try to work it out somehow in my life. Rather than coming to his word fresh every day with a hunger and a thirst, praying that his word would truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But when we come to it that way, God knows, he knows how to lead us in victory. Lastly here, I just want to point out that to each one of these churches, God gives a promise. He gives a promise. And here's the thing, the preciousness of his promises far outweigh the price of our repentance. Let me say that again. The preciousness of his promises far outweigh the price of our repentance. Again, I touched on him briefly, but when he says to each one, the, to the one who conquers, he gives a promise with it. Now, he doesn't have to do this. He's Lord, he's Savior, he's King, right? Like, like, you know, sometimes as a dad, I play that one card when I tell my boys to do something, and they're like, why? And I say, because I said so. Right? Anybody with me? Okay. Yeah. And there's a sense in which that's it got the authority just do it because i said so christ could do that absolutely could do that there's times he does do that but usually all oh, he, he gives a promise and he does that here and again this is how we conquer in second peter chapter two it says that it's through his great and precious promises that we are made partakers of the divine nature is that we search the word of God, we get in this book, we look for a promise, we believe it, we claim it, we cling to it, in order that we can walk in victory. And look at some of these promises to the church at Ephesus. I will grant, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This tree that in the beginning, you know, there was the garden, and there's all these trees, but there's the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve don't pick the right tree. But if we conquer with Christ, he holds out this promise to us of this tree of life. We will have life and we will have it abundantly. Again, to the one who conquers, he will not be hurt by the second death. The church in Smyrna was getting ready to face death. They were getting ready to face difficulty. It says, if you cling to me, if you trust me, if you hold fast to what you have, you're not going to be hurt by the second death, which is in the lake of fire in Hades forever. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. This idea of manna from the Old Testament that came down from heaven. The Bible says here there's, there's hidden manna that Christ offers us nourishment for our souls that gives us life. Guys, do you live your Christian life this way? Do you live your Christian life clinging to the promises of God, clinging to what He said is true? Or are you just kind of just going with the flow? Just toss to and fro. The Bible says in James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness is this. Double-mindedness, double-mindedness is, I know God says this is true, but the world's telling me this is true, and I'm just stuck in the middle. And we're kind of riding the fence. Listen, folks, the devil owns the fence, okay? You need to be on one side or the other. If you're on the fence, then you're in the devil's territory. The devil owns the fence as well. We cannot be double-minded. We have to know what is true. We know what is true from the word of God, and we have to live in light of his promises. And it's a fight. Amen? It's a fight. It's not difficult, or it's, it's not easy. It's difficult. And I say all that to say, and worship team, I'm going to invite you up and... And we're, we're going to close here in prayer. And I'm just going to give a very specific type of invitation as we, uh, as we close today. Um, up front here, here and here, and I think it's over there on the ledge up in the balcony, we've got a clipboard and a pen. And, uh, you know, as I was reading this this past week, um, I just felt like this is kind of what the Lord wanted me to do. He just wanted me to just read it, give some general observations, and then call us to do this. And again, just kind of in light of what we've talked about, about the church being God's people, not just Mercy Hill, but God's people, those who know him, being the ones that truly hold the influence and being the ones that truly hold the authority as we rule and as we reign and as we trust in him, the one who truly has all authority and from where all our authority comes from, is that on these clipboards you will find, it's today the 15th, yeah, it's the 15th, tomorrow's the 16th, you will find the dates on the left side, the 16th through the 30th, and then you'll see three slots over beside it. And I just felt like one of the things that the Lord wanted us to do in obedience to him in this season, just like he had specific things that he wanted these churches in Revelation to do in obedience to him in this season, is I just felt like he wanted us to, collectively to go into a season of fasting and prayer. And so as we're going to sing here, and we're going to worship in a little bit, as we sing, just like we used to do when, you know, when we did communion every week, as we're singing, I just want you to come up, if you feel so led, and I want you to put your name in one of those slots and make sure you take note of which day it is. And there's you know, three there for each date, three there, three up there. So about all in all, every day, of this month, for the rest of the month, um, I will let you skip Thanksgiving, okay, if you want to. But I wanna have at least a handful of people at Mercy Hill fasting and praying. And I want us to be fasting and praying for some very specific things. Number one, I want us to fast and pray that God's will would absolutely positively be done in regards to this election, okay? Here's the thing, no matter who's in the White House, we know who's on the throne, amen? But these are tumultuous times, and it does matter. But here's the thing. Jesus is ultimately in control, and we're going to trust him. And no matter what happens, we're going to move into 2021 knowing that we've done our part to seek him first and that his will would be done. Okay? I want us to fast and pray for that. Secondly, I want us to fast and pray for his specific purpose for us at Mercy Hill. I feel like, um, and again, I say this humbly, this is not like inspired or anything, but um, But if I was writing a letter, or if I was thinking about what Jesus might say, I should say, in writing a letter to the church at Mercy Hill, I think one of the things he might say would be something like this, is that, guys, you're doing a good job, and you love me, and you love my word, and you love each other. but I think you might then say this, but I have this against you. And he might say that even though you know me as Savior, you struggle with unbelief and doubt a lot. You don't fully believe all that I have in store for you. Not for your honor and your glory, but for my honor and my glory. And I think he would say, guys, I want you to follow me and I want you to believe me to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. Maybe, that's what he'd say. And so I want us to be fasting and praying for the next 15 days or so through the end of this month that God's will would be done in regards to the election. If that there's any lies, if there is any fraud, I don't know. Jesus knows. It would be revealed, and the truth would go forward. Then I also want to pray that heading it as we kind of wrap up this year, it's been a crazy year, amen? Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? 2020, baby. One for the history books. As we head into this new year, that no matter what happens outwardly, the election or whatever it is, covid if it sticks around goes away i don't know that we would act like disciples that we would be his people and that we would live with all of our heart on his mission for his honor and his glory okay so as we sing if you feel so led if you don't feel like that listen you're be set free okay i'm not trying to lay a just a i don't know a man-made burden on anyone this morning but But I want us to come and do that Um, if you can fast literally like not eat for a day that would be great if you can't do that maybe you can skip a meal if you want to skip I don't know I'll leave it up to you you know social media that type of stuff but I would challenge you if you're able to not eat on the day you sign up don't eat and when you get hungry let that be a reminder to drive you to prayer okay that's how it works. It's not a hunger strike. We're not like, I'm not going to eat till you do what I want. But it's just reminding us that there's a spiritual reality that's way more important than this physical reality that we all live in. That's kind of the summary of what fasting means, okay, or the point of it. Make sense? Are you with me? Still awake? You alive? Okay. Jesus is good. Stand up. You guys come as we sing. Again, I think there's a clipboard up there, one down here. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I, you know, in this season, Lord, um, we just got to come back to just, to you, just to basics, to you. Just, and just seeing you for who you are. And, uh, and Father, I just pray that you would have your way in our lives. And I pray that over the next couple weeks as we, you know, do our best to seek you first to seek you first. I pray that you would be honored and glorified and exalted. We love you, Lord, and we do believe that you can do anything. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. And so we turn our faces to seek you. We want the fullness of what you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.